0: Forever!
1: Dog! Hey everyone, you're listening to the Writer's Panel podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. On this podcast, we talk about the business and process of writing mostly television with mostly television writers. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and host of this show. I myself am a television writer and a writer of other things. You may have seen my name on Supernatural, on Puss in Boots, as well as some other series. Most recently, you can find the Audible original series Cut and Run, which my writing partner and I have written. It's about the relationship woes of best friends who happen to be kidney thieves. It's available at audible.com slash cut and run. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. That's always very helpful for us. Also, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so. And let me know who else you would like to see on this show. What are you watching on television? What's getting you excited or inspired? And we'll try to get those creators or at least someone from the show to talk about TV because that's what we love to talk about. Here's the theme song.
2: They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now, oh yeah!
1: Thank you all for being here, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to start by having you introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listener knows what your voice sounds like, and tell us some places where they may have seen your name or will see your name. Uh, and Michael, let's start with you.
2: Uh, I'm Michael Waldron. Um, I've written for Rick and Morty. I created a show called Heels uh, that's coming to the stars next year, and I was the head writer for the Loki series uh, coming to Disney Plus.
0: My name is Michael Grassi. I uh, most recently co-created and showrun and EP Katie Keen, which is the Riverdale mm-hmm. spinoff. Before that, I've been on Riverdale for the past four years, and. Before that, shows like Supergirl and Shit's Creek and uh, Degrassi. I have some Degrassi questions. I can't wait. Like <laughs> you're I Canadian. Can't wait, I'm I Canadian. Yeah.
1: Every Canadian writer who comes through here has worked on Degrassi. I love it. <laughs> I'm <laughs> ready for the Degrassi <laughs> <write a> question. For <laughs> sure. It's
0: amazing.
3: Uh, I'm Nico Reno. Uh, my resume is less impressive, but uh, I um, directed a movie uh, that is out now, I guess, comes out March 20th, um, called Hooking Up, which I co-wrote with my wife, Lauren, who's here with me. Uh, Before that, I directed a couple episodes of Zach and Mia on Hulu, um, a pilot for YouTube originals that never went anywhere, and uh, some short films that you definitely haven't seen.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And I am Lauren Shacker. I co-wrote the film that was just mentioned and that you've seen maybe in theaters already. (laughs) Uh, I wrote some other movies that are on studio shelves and am getting into TV now. And yeah. Great.
1: Well, I feel yeah. like you could learn a lot from these two. Oh, things. my God. So many questions. <laughs> so, so think about some questions. Yes. Uh, and then we'll, we'll... Then I'll take over. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like. It's the dream.
4: <laughs>
1: um, what I do want to start with, um, and maybe it's because of the mood I'm in, is how hard it is to get stuff made. Um, I want to talk about the struggle. Is this a nice way to start Saturday oh. morning? Oh, my well, God. Let's do this. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, and I, I will ask any of you to jump in on this, but maybe for, it's for the thing you're working on now. Maybe it's for something in the past. But I want to hear about pushing through the struggle and um, to actually get something made. So whoever wants to jump in with the, that vague question.
0: I'll jump in. Why not? <laughs> it's uh, – uh, I've, I've – pitched many projects that haven't gotten made and it's it's i feel like every step of the process you have to convince so many people to say yes and it's not only when you're in the room pitching but it's that first outline it's that first draft it's that first meeting when you're pitching the vision for the series with the director it's like you're getting people on board every step of the process and it's really hard and there's going to be a lot of people that are always trying to like make it something else and you just have to hold on to the only thing you've got, which is your vision and your and your 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 guts and, and, and your passion for it. And well, it's just hard.
1: Let's talk about it that specifically for a second. And maybe you could, you know, if there is a project, I don't know if it's Katie Keene, if that was any easier, but maybe there's a project, you know, that we don't know about that, that died along the way, whatever it is. But can you walk us through, you know, putting it together, trying to convince these other people to get behind your vision?
0: Yeah, I can talk about one project that I was really passionate about that it started off with just sitting in uh, 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 with the studio, actually, and sort of pitching them three ideas that I was really excited about. And we landed on one with producers and um, it was a little too ripped from the headlines, I think. And we took it all over town. And I mean everywhere. And everyone was really excited about it, and we kept on going and we took it to all the networks and it was all the cables and it was all the streamers. And by the end I was like, am I going to be pitching this for the rest of my whole life? I felt kind of yes. crazy and like I felt, yeah, exactly. And, and it was kind of like there was so much me in there and it felt so personal and it felt like a real rejection of something that i was so passionate about i'm like well they don't like me i'm like everything's it's over <laughs> and luckily i was doing it while i was on riverdale and i worked with R- R- roberto giri Sacasa created riverdale sort of saw me go through that and he was like it's just hard michael and sometimes you don't sell the show and that's okay and a lot of people go through that so whenever you're out there trying to sell something sometimes it doesn't sell and that's okay and we're writers and what makes us writers is we have other ideas and keep working on those. And often that idea ends up coming back. And strangely, this idea always ends up rearing its head somehow okay. somewhere. You that know,
2: was, That was what with heels. It was a, a case of it coming back. I wrote that the, the pilot when I was an intern on the very first season of Rick and Morty, oh, like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and that was the thing that, you know, kind of started my career. It got optioned by Paramount TV and then, developed it with them for a year, and then we sold it to stars and then developed a second episode with them, redeveloped the show with them. Mm-hmm. And then in 2017, they picked it up to a writer's room, made me the showrunner and everything. I was like, wow, this is, what a <laughs> shooting star. Uh, and and we wrote the first season and then they canned it. Glow came oh out God. and it was, you know, and it was like after this crazy uh, it, adventure, the show went away and I, you know, and I was like, well, that's, it, it's, it's dead. You, 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 gotta, I think about top gun when goose is getting lifted up into the helicopter <laughs> and it's like, you gotta let him go, sir. Uh, and, and, and so it went away and I went off and I worked on Rick and Morty and then, uh, got the Loki job and and was doing that and then got a call here. It is two years later. And it's, mm. yeah, we, we love the show. We always loved it. We think it's time, and we, we so, always loved it. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, So
1: you weren't actively trying to bring it back either.
2: No, it was dead. I mean, I had dead and dead and buried, and you That's know, and, and and but they they said when they when they pulled the plug the first time, they are like, you know, we, we like this. We'll, we'll see what happens, and we put it together, attached
1: another showrunner,
2: and oh. and there it was. I'm
1: curious to hear about that step after, like whenever this was, five years ago, right, um, or I guess three years ago, after they bought it and you had to do the redeveloping on it. What did that look like? What kind of notes were you getting? And tell me about the, I always hate to ask this question, but about the emotional response to that, to this thing that you made that you clearly believed in.
2: Sure. Yeah, it was. It was a. I mean, it's a show about pro wrestling in the South. So clearly, very personal. <laughs> they can't see me. I don't look like a wrestler. Uh, it's a joke for you guys. Um, but yeah, it was. It was a. It was a personal story that I was really attached to. And and you know they, it's. I wrote it right as I was starting my career. So a lot of the the redeveloping was coming as I was just actually learning how to write and not just rip off mm-hmm. Mad Men episodes,
1: um, which is writing. <laughs> uh you you go through that stuff to sort of learn how to write totally. you know structure and dialogue and all this stuff yeah right? totally i remember writing that
2: pilot literally just like beating out the yeah. madman pilot
0: like mm-hmm. all right where
2: how long are these scenes how many <laughs> uh, like getting so yeah. scientific and unartistic about it yeah uh but it you know it was learning to work with a studio and and understand that yeah you want to you want to Execute your vision, but even more than that, you want to get the show on the air. You want people to see it, and and so that that was kind of the first real lesson, and just how much of this business is compromise, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and that that's a real skill you've got to
1: learn. Absolutely, and yeah. and I would imagine you know being around in the rooms you've been in, you've seen that in action, and you must have taken something from those rooms totally. and learned how to have those conversations.
2: Totally, come coming up under. Dan Harmon, you know, f- funniest guy in the world and everything but in his rooms it's always best idea wins. Mm-hmm. And I was I was the writer's PA on Community yeah. season 5 and I got a couple of jokes in the show and and, and that that's uh, that's just to say they didn't care where it came from. It's just if it was the best idea yeah. uh, that that would win. And and so I think taking that into your experience with executives and really respecting The studio executives, the network executives, those guys are creatives too. Mm -hmm. And they're all just trying to make the best thing.
4: It's such a fine line though, right? Because like the first film that I had optioned, the mistake that I made because I was so over the moon that anyone wanted to make anything I had written down. Because I was also an actor who had like decided to start writing. And it was a very who like what actor hasn't done that at this (laughs) point. That's kind of the path. And I was like, who's going to care about this? And a producer did, and, and wanted to make my film, and I took every note, right? And it was <laughs> a disaster. <laughs> that's, that's the first one, yeah. right? It was just like
3: you mean it didn't make it so much no, better.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, and I, and most of the time, I'd be like, it's okay, I'm gonna work with this. Like, th- I, I think I get what they mean, but I just want to make this producer so happy. And then two years later, the movie didn't get made, and. I hated it and, like, I was like, this is not the film I came in with at all. Yeah, it's just... It's like a,
2: it's a picking your battles Mm -hmm. thing, like, and that's, I mean, you never really know. I just, you just try and develop that instinct of, like, all right, now's the time to, like, annoy everybody and, like, drag my feet and say, (laughs) no, I think we're, I think
1: this is wrong. We
2: should, you know, but... But yeah, I don't know, I'm just trying to kiss executives' asses <laughs> on here. It gets back to
1: what Grassi was saying that like it is your vision, right? And there's room for collaboration in that vision. But ultimately, you have to have the thing in your head. So I think generally we do know where the line is. And we know when we hear an idea that's better than what we have down.
0: Um, yeah. you, there's always it, an opportunity to make something better with notes is the way I think of notes. Like, okay, I have this note. I get another – pass at this draft, it's an opportunity to try to make it better. And it's this really weird mix that I feel like, I feel like, I don't know if you guys relate to this, but it's being incredibly prepared and knowing exactly what you want. And then being at the same time, incredibly (laughs) loose and ready to like, and, and, and the loose part is just as important as knowing exactly what you want, because when you're loose, you can also make something deeper, funnier, more surprising. And and that's really, I feel like my first mistake, I sure ran a show called Lost Girl in Canada. And I'm gonna be really candid about that. I sort of flew, I was I was here for Schitt's Creek. I got an opportunity to go run Lost Girl. It was the last season. And I was like, I'm gonna go do this. It's a huge opportunity. I've never done this before. And I walked in there so prepared and so rigid. And I'm like, I know what the last line of dialogue <laughs> of this series is going to be. And I look back and I regret that because I had such a great room of so many smart writers. I'm like, I wish I was a little bit looser. I wish I pushed yeah. story up. I wish I had. So looking back, it's like, that's something that it's just important to remember both. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
3: so much of it too is about like knowing what is cosmetic versus like, what is the heart and soul mm-hmm. of the thing that you've written. And like, what can you compromise on that doesn't compromise the integrity of the piece and like so for the for our script hooking up like we wrote a road trip movie that starts in la and like basically ends in new york or they're headed to new york and then at one point we were looking at shooting the movie in new york so we rewrote the script to take place in new york and to go to la well then we got You know, financing, and we were told you have to shoot this movie in Dallas, Texas. So now we (laughs) land in Dallas, New Orleans. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we're like, well, Dallas does (laughs) not look like LA or New York. Now what do we do? And we're like, well, I guess it could look like Atlanta. So we rewrote the script again to take place in Atlanta and be sort of a meandering road trip that goes through Dallas, (laughs) and then you end up with like. A script that has over 25 locations that you only have 17 days to shoot and like an indie budget and you're like This just we can't shoot everything that's in the script So it's like you've already compromised so much on what you thought the movie was gonna be and then you just like All right Well, what is the heart and soul of like these characters and their journey and like everything else is flexible? Like it doesn't really matter where they go on the road trip What matters is like the internal journey and how do we stay true to that and like? You know the locations that wherever like you just sort of make it work and you just stay true to like the thing you wanted to say and you know that everything else like you'll just sort of figure out how to make it work but it's like you you never it's funny because when you write something you're like this is how it has to be and then you never know how to change it until it's like you're moments away from like shooting it and like you come up with an idea that you never thought would have been possible earlier but it's like just Trial by fire, you know. Our
4: mantra was just, "It's a version." Yeah, everything it's a version. was. This is a version. This is a version of what we thought was <laughs> happening. Uh huh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's such
2: a that's such a superpower, though. I, I think because I I remember running heels. I, I had the same experience on on Lost Girl, which is like coming in and I was just I had it was my baby and I was a genius and, and yeah. the vision was clear yeah. and I and I was rigid and and I and I it, it was tough to uh to be as loose as you need to be and I I learned from that experience on and on Loki I really tried to preach everything's modular that that's that's the thing that those production challenges and all that it's like it doesn't matter it's just about the characters right. like like it mm-hmm. forces you back into this if you were making it for no money like what is the emotional story of the core of this whether this scene is happening with a giant, you know cgi fight sequence or two people in a room mm-hmm. hopefully you're landing the same emotion right beat.
3: yeah you yeah. hope that it's still it's still the same scene at the end of the day how totally. you get there might be different but like the heart of it is intact yeah
1: you've all it's interesting you've all sort of circled and even mentioned this idea of the core of the story uh, or of the series um and coming back to the characters in the series um I'm curious to hear from each of you what was that core for hooking up? What was that core for Loki? What was what is it for Katie Keen? Like, what's the thing that you can always come back to that makes the rest of it modular?
4: Oh, yes, I, you'd like me to go first? Know. Sure.
1: You don't know? Uh, you yeah. It yeah, yeah you know, I, know. Idea.
4: I think hooking so hooking up is a road trip comedy about two people who have to come to the terms with the fact that they have a disease. One of them is a sex addict, but in very serious denial about it, and the other is dealing with a cancer diagnosis, Um, although it's reversed from what you are probably thinking those (laughs) genders are. Uh, So a lot of the film just always comes back to these people can't be together until they come to terms with the fact that they are running from themselves, right? That they are running from acknowledging that something is quote unquote wrong with them um, and and dealing with that and investigating that. And so it was, you know, the, it's a very funny movie, not in a self-congratulatory way, but just like it's a comedy. Um, but it's a comedy where it only works if these people are always coming back to that core of I'm running from something that I'm afraid of. I'm running from something that I think makes me bad or makes me broken or unlovable um,
3: and that that other person sort of what what they realize is that other person also going through something is like the only one that can help them acknowledge it, right? Because for us, what was really important, especially in like the rom-com space, where so much of it is about sort of like cliche gender dynamics, where so many rom-coms are about like one person saving the other person or them like saving each other. And we really wanted to make a rom- romantic comedy that was about two people who gave each other the tools to save themselves. Mm-hmm. And they can't really come together until they've done the work themselves. And so like that was always the core of it too, was like yeah. how do we get to that point and making sure that like we were always on that trajectory.
1: Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. And and like you say, you can then change the other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter yeah. where the road we trip is. We didn't talk about goes.
3: a road trip at all. And what we just yeah, done,
4: so I know. Who yeah. cares exactly. where they go. It also means that like so many of the set pieces that we wrote are not in the movie. Sure, of course. Uh, because we didn't have time and they weren't, you know if the the scene of them running through the football stadium doesn't, God, I wish we could put a shot. I know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, running naked through the football stadium. Um, if that isn't actively pushing forward their emotional journey, then. Then I had to go. Yeah. yeah, and
1: that's great advice for anyone who's writing anything.
4: <laughs> yes, generally before yeah. you get to the production place. Yeah, that's <laughs> please true. make sure that every scene is pushing. But when you're characters when you're writing
3: like forward. alone or like with a partner, but I just mean when it's just like you in a room with a laptop, like that, those drafts are always like the dream drafts. That's like throw shit at the wall, do whatever you want. Like that's your wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And then like the further you get in the process, you start chipping away at Those things you start killing darlings to make it more of a reality, and I think that's where I think being a professional comes into play and like really figuring out like what is integral and like what am I what do I have the budget for? Like, but that's a process, that's like a learn, yeah. Learn uh, and and we'll, we'll
1: get back to drafts in a minute because mm-hmm. that is something I want to talk about. Um, but Grassy, let's talk about Katie Keene, um, and what is the core of that show? And Mm. what was it like finding that? um, Yeah, You know, was it built in from her appearances on Riverdale or was it something that you and Roberto had to talk? It was
0: kind of, it was a new thing and it was, um, Riverdale is a teen noir sort of like twin peaks set in Riverdale with Archie comics. And, and Roberto's other show, Sabrina is sort of teen horror. Um, Sabrina, the teenage witch. So, katie keen we knew that we wanted to do something very different we knew that we wanted to be uh, a brighter show Mm -hmm. optimistic um so one thing that we all thought was really relatable i think everyone in this room i think is really it's a show about people pursuing a dream and all of the sacrifices that come with that all of the uh small wins all of the times you get knocked down and and the heart of the show is this group of friends who are really a family and um, they just lean on each other through all of the 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 hard times. It's a, it's it's truly about that time in your twenties when you're broke, when you don't have a foot in the door yet, when you're single, when you live in an apartment with like five other people and you're mm-hmm. sleeping in the hallway and like people are walking over you to get <laughs> to the bathroom. And in, in a way it's a really hard time in life, but when I look back at that time in my life, it's sort of the most wonderful time of your life. And then it's sort of, the show is about that family and that's the core. So they're pursuing fashion, music, Broadway, drag. And and even though they go to the sort of these separate worlds at the end of the day, they always come back to that apartment or the bar that they go to, Molly's Crisis and they sort of have each other and lean on each other. So that's sort of the, that's the beating, big beating heart of the show, I would say.
1: And then to me, it seems like a show like that would be so hard to plot. And it's maybe it's because I'm not a soap person. um, But where does story come
0: from? You know, did you get asked in these pitches, what's the engine for it? Mm -hmm. I think the story comes from all of these people. The engine to me is them going after these very specific dreams. Mm -hmm. They have to make it. And I think when you're an artist, it's sort of, you don't have a choice. It's like, I have to do this because I love it so much. And if I don't do it, mm-hmm. I don't know what else I would do. So I think they're all super passionate about this and they're all chasing this in New York City. And the stakes are high when you're in New York and you have to make it. They all have like three day jobs mm-hmm. and, they, and they're and they trying to make it at I'm their dreams. i serious deja vu <laughs> as a former
4: New York actor.
0: <laughs> and, and I think the engine in terms of finding story comes from, going after these things and all of the people that are standing in their, your way. Also mm-hmm. like real things like relationships, like how do you balance a relationship with going after your dream while you also have three day jobs? Like all of that relatable 20s stuff is sort of what we're digging into. If Riverdale is a coming of age show, we often think of Katie Keene as like a second coming of age show. Like what happens when the person who's your mentor turns on you? What happens when the person you've been with since you were in high school, uh, uh, wants to get married and you're not ready because you're just not at that place in your life yet. It's just sort of big life questions.
1: And let me just ask before we move too far away from it, did you get questions about the stakes of the show? Like I feel like the two of you coming off of Riverdale where everything is so huge, uh, doing the show that is a lot more personal um, and kind of not quite as... Operatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you might have been hit with these questions about how how can we make these stakes big? How can they be important to the characters? Absolutely. What was your what, what was your response to it?
0: Yeah, we talked about that a lot, and it's something that came up really really early on. And it's sort of like we the question came up: Do we want this to do we want this show to have a murder in it? <laughs> and it, it was decided very early on: This is not that show. This is yeah. a a fairy tale. It's a New York fairy tale. It's a romance. It has rom-com elements as well. Um, and, and the questions do come up and they still come up what are the stakes What, what who, who's coming up against their character and I think one of the most important things is finding great antagonists for mm-hmm. your characters and building them into the world it's so important to sort of think about who is standing in their way so that you can write great scenes mm-hmm. with that person mm-hmm. and make them interesting as well so that you give Katie someone to come up against and early on that's Gloria and then that ends up being Amanda a little bit and then she ends up getting spoiler alert a new opportunity and that person ends up she has a very complicated relationship with that person um so it's i think it's about finding compelling complex villains for these people that are standing in their way of their dreams or or whatever they're after in that episode yeah That's, that's great advice
1: um, and Waldron, let's talk. I know we we can't go into details on Loki, and I won't ask for them. There'd but I poison do, dart, come through the <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> kill me. The, the red lasers on you yes. right now. No, no, it's always. Um, well, I do want to ask about the core of the show, the thing we started talking about, and what that was for you. Something you could communicate to your writers to say, like we have this whole world, but this is what our show is about. Right.
2: Yeah, I'll try and answer that without being killed uh, <laughs> during, during the recording. It's keep, just keep thematic. going if it happens. Uh,
1: but but I think maybe the
2: best way to answer is, is answer that along uh, and also talk about heels, another mm. show that doesn't come out for a year that nobody's <laughs> seen. But I think it's the it's the struggle uh, with identity, who you are, who you, who you want to be, um, and you know I'm I'm really drawn to characters. Who are fighting for control? Um, hmm. I think certainly you see that with Loki over the first ten years of, of movies. Is he's out of control at pivotal parts of his life? He was adopted and everything, and 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 that manifests itself uh, through through anger and and you know spite towards his family. With heels, it's a show about you know, poor folks in the South trying to make it big as pro wrestlers. It's, it's also similar. It's about the climb kind of Miley Cyrus is the climb. And don't amazing use that. Song. that That's amazing. A, song. Our series finale is like a Grey's Anatomy style cover of the climb, uh, uh, but, but it's it's people, you know, when you get in the wrestling ring and when you put on face paint and you play this character, you're seizing control for for 10 minutes you you get to uh control how people perceive you and what the narrative of your of your life is and everything and i'm i'm just Hmm. i'm I'm drawn to that uh with characters probably in in everything i write so so i'd say that's you know that's certainly there with heels and there's elements of that with loki as well that's really
1: interesting
3: um yeah i ask i'm curious because is that something that you discovered that that was like a theme that you were interested in that came up in a lot of your work? Or is it something that like you actively pursued? Cause it was something that you're,
2: I think that, I think that probably when I, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that it was probably one of my foundational struggles and everything, and the sort of thing that, that a therapist would tell you like, yeah. Hey, this is, this is yeah. uh, you're, you're obsessed with control. But at the same time, <laughs> we probably all are a, a little, you know, to, to make it here and to to be a writer be a a director a creative like you've got to have a thirst for control i think that i started writing about it without realizing it and then somebody said it and i was like oh hell yeah that's like (laughs) that's my thing and i've just been
1: ripping that off ever
2: since you find the thing that works yeah i would say it on a podcast
1: (laughs) It's interesting. It it does come back to a thing that comes up often on this show, which is, you know, as writers, the thing you can control is the script, right? That's, that's the place where we have the most control. After that, trying to get other people on board, trying to sell your vision to other people, that starts to slip out of our grasp. But you can control what's in the script, um, which is why I want to talk about drafts. And I'm glad you brought it up, uh, Nico, earlier. Um, on a TV schedule, you don't have time for twenty drafts of the script. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute and getting it right and getting it right enough. You know what I mean?
0: Uh,
2: I mean, yeah. TV, TV's TV's hard with that, and and you've gotta you've gotta learn to write fast um, and and to you know the value. The value of just getting to fade out uh, of getting a spit draft down, whether it's something to feed production and animation, just, you know, yeah, we got to get these artists drawing ball sack aliens on Rick and Morty, like they got to have something to draw. Uh, and so it's like giving them anything, it goes back to what we were talking about, that it's a version. Uh, it's modular, but we think this is what the story is. We think Rick and Morty are gonna have a transcendent experience with a ball sack monster, <laughs> um, and and so you have to let go of that thirst for for perfection. There's always a better idea. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just time time management. Getting getting something finished and resisting the urge that I mean I have, which is spend a whole day on on one page because mm-hmm. you want it to be the best thing in the in the world. But that, that doesn't help production. The train's yeah, gotta that's keep going all that's of us are like Miko, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's freeing in a lot of ways
1: too because and when I've, you know, been on staff on a script it's like, well I have to hand this in now.
2: Well that's yeah, it it makes you finish, it makes you make choices. And yeah. I've and I've always found if you if you can mm-hmm. really force yourself to say, all right, let's let's get it's, it's something Harmon always said was Write the sheet, the biggest piece of shit in the world. <laughs> write, write the thing that would make your mom read it and say, quit writing. <laughs> yeah. uh, because you're getting, you're just fighting through to the end. There's gonna be stuff that doesn't make sense, but 20% of that or 30% of that, you'll shock yourself with those little decisions you made mm-hmm. just to press forward. Mm-hmm. How much of it actually becomes very usable and, and oftentimes it's better than what you would have plotted mm-hmm. out.
0: Uh, for days
2: on your own. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree, Michael. It's like it's like often you go back to that vomit draft, which we often call it. It's like and there's more in there than you think is in there. And it's interesting what instinct does when you're just pushing through something quickly. It's uh, the pace of television. Sometimes gives you gifts. It's like you find some interesting stuff in there. And I feel like the other thing I'll add is when you're on such a tight schedule, it's like and prep is so fast and like production's waiting there to sort of build those sets for that. Episode. It's just all happening so fast. I, I always, and this is something I really learned from all of the rooms I've been in really, but the room is the heart of the show. So it's like, it's so important in my mind to get those cards up, to get the beats as clear as possible and to sort of do a really flushed outbreak of the episode to the point where it's like we do a really clear... The most important stage, I would say, is like the full blend. We know what all the scenes are. We're putting them up. And then we talk through the blend, like every scene in detail. So everyone knows what each scene is and everyone knows... And and, and the episodes that have gotten away from us or the episodes that have been a little bit trickier, the ones that, where it's been so crazy that it's like we've skipped over the blend stage. Because the blend stage is when you see all the stories and like stuff can fall out and you see it sort of the clear so so if you in my in my experience it's like getting that blend getting the entire room sort of on board and understanding what the scenes are and what the episode is the drafts and are stronger yeah. out of a good sure. blend i would say yeah, yeah I mean, that's it's always just a and, helpful and, part of the process yeah. and
2: the crazy the craziest thing is though is that it never gets easier that's a, it's like <laughs> it it's gets like harder tig- like tiger woods it's like <laughs> swinging the golf club it's like at some point it's always he knows how to do it every time you sit down to break a new episode <laughs> or write a new draft it's just as impossible you might as well be doing it for the first time and it's <laughs> what are we doing? I agree. She's terrible.
0: (laughs) Someone, a fellow writer once told me, the more you know, the harder it gets. And Hmm. I feel like that's so true. I feel like Hmm. it gets, it gets harder. I yeah. feel
4: like I can balance a certain number of projects and then like one is added to the pile and my brain breaks. And I just spend like two days with the new project being like, I actually forgot how to write. Right. <laughs> I'm not capable of doing this. Meanwhile, these four other things are moving and are fine. But this new thing has destroyed yeah.
2: me. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you guys, I feel like the process of writing a movie, seeing it through, making it, going through that granular production process is so important. It was something that that really I didn't even get to learn until, you know, as, as Loki's gotten mm-hmm. started and everything. And that is, it's something I feel like a lot of TV writers, uh, especially younger writers, they don't know. And they And it's like, you don't, it's easy to sit in that room and to think it all starts and ends with what I write in my writer's draft.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When in
2: fact, what you learn is like, No, like there's going to be a costume department, and there's going to be geniuses, all different other kinds of geniuses, production designers, and everything, plussing all these ideas and all that. And and there's freedom as a writer to understand like this is a blueprint for other really talented people to just make it better. And I I feel like making a movie is you really get to learn that.
3: Yeah, it's as a writer director, it's an interesting process because you get you do get so precious about. Like, and this movie was like, no one paid us to do that. Like we wrote on spec, like this was a passion project for us. And so, I mean, we spent like years off and on, like it being a back burner project, like writing it when we could. And you get so precious about it. Like it becomes like a child, you know? And then and then you start going out with it and like producers have notes and then actors will have notes and then you get to set and it's like, you have to change everything. And it's like, it's weird because I I would imagine like writing in TV a lot of times, you write, you write it and then you sort of you give it away and it goes through production and it's like, you have no, it's just like down the pipeline and you have no control over what happens and it comes back to you sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, no, not TV writers, yes, you're always in control, but um, yeah, in, in some respects, like directors are sort of like referring to you. Um, but I, I guess what's interesting is like you write it and then it's the process, I maybe it's more so in film, it's the process of like giving pieces of it away as you go. I
4: mean, for sure film writers like when you hand in your script it's over right and that is yes that film, having yes. written films that I am not a producer on and not a director on versus writing ones where I am more involved that's a horrifying process that's like you turn in your script and it is not yours at all yeah. and no one gives a f- fuck about you <laughs> anymore. Nice. I was like, can I say that? <laughs> uh, yes, I can. Uh, no one gives a fuck about you anymore. If you are a feature writer, yeah. after you turn in your script. So they just invite they you to the premiere I'm and you're sorry. like, what happened? I guess like, this, is this movie I don't now. know. Or they don't tell you what's going on. And yeah. it's, yeah, that is a heartbreaking path that I was not aware of. Now I know. Uh, try to be a producer <laughs> if you can, <laughs> whenever possible, for real. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I want to talk for a second before we wrap up about uh, collaboration, and you know, you are both working with rooms or have been working with rooms. Um, Gracie, let's start with you and talk about how you used your room on Katie Keen, having been through these other rooms. Mm-hmm. What you took from those rooms uh, that sort of taught you how to run this show differently or better?
0: Yeah, like I said, I I do think of the writers' room as the heart of the show, and. I've been in many different rooms and I've seen sort of different methods and something that I've really adopted f- from Roberto is Roberto's so generous with the process and I've been in a lot of situations where there's a lot of closed doors and stuff and, and, and that creates anxiety <laughs> and I think a room is at its best when everyone sort of feels um, like they're there to make a great show and that it's collaborative, and we're all in it together. Um, so I often turn to the room for 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 everything. Really, we we were all in it together. Is sort of how I see it. Um, and and we do everything together. We break every episode together. We 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 get into the nitty gritty, and I, and I, I I look to them for all of their unique perspectives mm-hmm. and point of views, and their smart voices and their past experiences, and I feel like. I look to them to make the show richer and better. And yeah. and, and, and uh, I'm very grateful to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like, and I think I'm sure it's come up, come up before, but, like, when we have these rooms because we want to mine these humans, <laughs> like, we just want to strip them of their experiences, take all that good stuff, use it in our thing, um, and the idea is to get them to do it willingly.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, it, I, it, yeah, it's, it's sort of – It's it's a hard way to say it. But But I think I think I think we all what's nice about a show like Katie specifically is that there's such a variety of characters. So I think everyone comes in and sort of takes one on and is Mm. like, I'm going to sort of I sort of match up with this character. I'm gonna pick. that's something I learned from Greg Berlanti very, very early on. He came into the supergirl room, I think like it was week one, and his advice to to us was pick a character. Pick a character that you're the champion for in the room. Mm-hmm. And and then it's nice that cool. like someone will always sort of have one character's back. So it's almost like the <laughs> group great. scenes when they're all sort of in an argument all those perspectives will be in there because we've sort of talked about them in the room. Um, and it's just, it makes it richer That's really
4: cool. at every
0: so People stage. fight over characters? You can, more people more <laughs> can be on one character, okay. which is good. It's not like Monopoly. It's not like, There's one this one character is my no piece. one wants. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So yeah. It's like, I don't know. That guy's kind of lame. Yeah,
1: write him off. Yeah. Uh,
0: who was your character on Supergirl? On Supergirl, I was very much uh, like a Supergirl guy. Like I loved Kara. I loved the sister relationship. Yeah. That was my favorite stuff to write on that show. It feels like the heart of the show.
1: Yeah. Um, Waldron, the same thing. You know, you've been through these experiences. You've been in this Harmon camp from community on uh, and then getting opportunities now to run your own shows. What have you taken from those? How did you use your room on Loki? <clears throat> well,
2: I can see the red dot. On the- <laughs> uh, but but I, I I not because of the red dot. I'll take it back to heels. But only to say I remember on the first day going in as a showrunner of, of heels. The only person I knew what to tell to do was the writer's PA because that was the only yeah. job I'd had in a writer's room before that. And I was like, "All right, so here's probably how the lunch thing should look." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, what am I doing?" And and it was it was terrifying. I was like 29, and I, I was You're insecure. It's you've, you've hired geniuses uh, to help you do this, and you know, and it, and I'm so grateful to those writers because they came along for me. He came along for the ride with me while I kind of figured out what the hell I was doing. Um, and then, you know, and we wrote a great season together. And then I had the the great experience of going to actually go be on staff on Rick and Morty for season four. And that was so informative, feeling what it's like to sit in the room with mm-hmm. a showrunner, with a creator in front of you and to feel the, the anxiety of like, oh, I just pitched a joke and it fell flat. Like, yeah. or that idea, like nobody reacted to and, and to understand, like, you're not fighting for your life, but sometimes it feels like it. And and if you're a writer, you're probably a little bit neurotic and you're going to you're going to be, you know, and, and, and that helped me yeah. going into Loki, I think, j- just trying to understand, like, everybody is here. Everybody wants to crush it like, like we've got to, you know, you, and it just makes you a better listener. Because you you've sat there with them, and and certainly the the show is only as good as the room, um, and, and your
1: ability to work. That's with a them. great attitude to have, um, for a boss, you know, for the person that everyone looks to, is you're really looking to them.
2: Yeah, for for yeah, you don't want them looking to me.
4: <laughs> How did you guys go about? I like specifically for the first show that you show ran. What do you feel like were the the best attributes and writers when you were selecting them for your room or how were you, how were you doing that? Especially having been in rooms before and like having your own preconceived notions about what you think a great staff writer is.
2: It's, it's interesting. Cause you know, I have the two shows that I've been the the head writer for the show. And before they more dramatic than Rick mm-hmm. and Morty, it's mm-hmm. like, that's a comedy thing. So it's like, you're looking for, you know, who, who's the funniest person, but, but then you can break it down. And this, this goes with the drama. It's, it's like, all right, well, we need a big sci-fi brain on this or, and and this person, it's like, this person's g- really great with character, um, or it's always good to have a person who's good with plans. <laughs> it's just like, cause I'm That's like, really I I'm fucking sure. terrible <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. plans. Like, like, and I'm always like, just bad at that so it's, you're looking for people who can do things that you can't, that, that mm-hmm. you couldn't sit there. And also, more than anything, like that's why diversity is important in rooms. Just people who are different from you, have a different yeah. perspective. You don't want to write a show where it feels like every character is the same person with yeah. a different hat on. <laughs> uh, you you want people who can round it out and put themselves into a show in the way that you couldn't.
1: Totally. Um, I want to ask very briefly, yeah. how did you two work together on this hooking up script?
4: Um, it's not for everyone. Don't go <laughs> out and try to force your partner, <laughs> your life partner, spouse, boyfriend, girl, yeah. or whomever to write with you because it probably it won't work.
3: Yeah, it, doesn't. Uh,
4: it worked for us, which was an unusual, you know, like on our third date, I think I asked Nico who was working in development. And I asked Nico for notes on a feature, and he gave me six pages of notes. And I was like, yes. So romantic. Yeah, Yeah, so romantic. It was a make or break moment for the relationship. (laughs) Um, And then we made a short film together and didn't kill each other. And so then we started writing this script together. And it just so happens that we have very complimentary writing styles. Mm -hmm. So I am very much get it out. Like we do a lot of planning and outlining very. Intensely. And then I will just write. Mm -hmm. I that is my ability is to just get things on the page. And Nico's particular strength is refining. So he'll spend hours on a page, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but making it really exceptional. And then, you know, and I'll just get everything going. And then so we'll sort of I'll write and then he'll write and then um, we'll go through it together and then. We'll kind of start the rewrite process together. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I'm definitely like I'm a structuralist. Like I'm, it's for me, yeah, it's like, not, it's all about I the don't story care beats. I'm like, mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't care about structure, are, but, but I
4: also am willing to break the house down.
3: Yeah, like so, it, I think the most important part is like just getting to the point where you you spend so much time talking about character that you make sure that you're sharing a voice for that character, mm-hmm. and that's like a mm-hmm. process, but. That also comes with like rewriting each other and sort of like figuring out who the characters are. But we definitely, we outline, I'm like outline everything first, um, structure everything. And then like Lauren said, like she's my, the bane of my existence as a writer is staring at the blank page. Like the blank page is the hardest thing to overcome. And so, and Lauren is not intimidated by that. She'll just, she can throw stuff on the page and.
4: I I write with my eyes closed. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's actually a good tip.
4: It just kind of blocks everything out. And if I'm trying to just get my, because I know the story, right? By that point, you like you know the story very well. You know the characters. Um, I come from an acting background, so I'm just like doing it in my head. Sure. Um, and then I don't have to stare at that blank page, which is very intimidating <laughs> also for me.
1: That's great. Um, we do have to wrap up. Um, hooking up in theaters now
4: in theaters (laughs) and on demand yes number one it's also also on on iTunes iTunes. okay
1: great Um, Katie Keene on the air now
0: Thursday nights 8pm on the CW (laughs) and you can stream it on the CW app or CW.com for free Uh,
1: and Loki this year heals next year both next year both next year
2: 2021 stick around that's going to be your
0: year stick (laughs) around
1: we'll come back so
0: we can get in depth
1: about it things are going (laughs) great the world's fine
2: that's that's (laughs) I'm excited
1: nobody's watching anything this year anyway (laughs) um I will wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television what's getting you excited or inspired what do you want to recommend to people what are you talking about with your rooms with each other with your loved ones Lauren we're going to start with you oh no yep
4: (laughs) oh god uh I, I'm really sorry. We watched Love Is Blind last night. And it counts. I mean,
1: it's a TV show.
4: Yeah, but it's terrible and also <laughs> fascinating. We watch a lot. It's hard for me to watch uh, narrative TV while I'm writing, mm-hmm. right? Like it puts yeah, me in my head. So, like, obviously, Fleabag is insane, and I loved Russian Doll. So we watch those within the past year. It's not recent. What else did we But Love recently? is Blind. That's your choice. No, gonna I hate it. it. I am going to stick with it. It sounds like my, you're committed. It's, I, it was, it's a fascinating human study, though. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was really weird.
3: Are
1: you going to accept that answer? No. Oh. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I similarly, it's like when I sit down to watch narrative TV, it feels like I'm still at work. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I'm doing that, like, I just finished season two of mm-hmm. Killing Eve, um, which season one was brilliant. You can feel that, like, Phoebe Waller Bridge is like missing from the second season. You definitely can't. It feels like someone's playing in her sandbox. But I would watch Jodie Comer and Fiona Shaw play yeah. those characters forever. They are amazing and fascinating. Um, but when I just need to like turn off my brain or watch something as like a hobbyist, I watch a lot of ghost adventures on Travel Channel, yeah. a lot of ghost hunting TV. <laughs> That's like
0: my guilty pleasure. Um, We're enjoying Watchmen. We're sort of mid season, but digging that
1: Mm -hmm. yeah good answer
0: the bachelor
2: (laughs) that's i'm I'm with you it's it's funny it's it's yeah this weird reality tv it's like just just turn turn your brain off a little bit it it, you know yeah it's maybe it's because you know how the sausage is, is made but it's more it feels like you're at work uh and and come on the characters on love is blind are more More interesting than anybody I could ever write. (laughs) If you haven't watched it, check. You should
4: just see it just to know what it is. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: My my, my boyfriend Matt says that the people in Love is Blind were all like the Bachelor rejects, which is my favorite thing ever. That's possible.
4: Except for Lauren and Cameron, who are very cute. Oh,
1: good Lord. (laughs) Thank you all for being here. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Uh,
0: Forever.